as I sit in my b-boy stance With flip-flops and socks and sweatpants I'm finna enhance your brain Check it out up on the time, not long ago, when the plague from the point, didn't have no luck, a nigga hit me from a tennis shoes, walking to the snow, caught up nigga slipping, but now I lay it to the flow just like carbon, cause I got the heat in my baby mama name, nah, never bragging just to say nah, even when I was a younger lad, I learned my lesson, never talk to strangers in the trap and ask a question, the Pope and his folks got us under the scope, but for unknown reasons, cause we don't sell dope that you distribute, we don't contribute to your clandestine activity, my soliloquy may be hard for some to swallow, but so is Carl Liverall, you went behind my back like Ludo when he cut up all the ore, to I hate lies and things they make my blood boil, but we're constricted on my soul that they call. to make it, but it only took a nigga 30 minutes to take it, cut that crow clean up I did, but I did so not safely, don't want no aid, no class or no rage, yeah. we take no shit like arms, stopped up from old, gotta collect how they done locked up my folks, low blow, hit me in the left ventral pole, we won't be able to ride out to 2004, but not for long cause we got a better sack to serve, trying to take your other people for your rims, hit the curb for your swerving bush, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, more head for me while you ride to um, me, drop like tears, like for fears, you know, shout, shout, let it all out just for my peers, and pupils who feel like it's time to unwind like December 31st, um, 
How's everybody today? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Uh, this is Ink Studs, the radio show about comics. Uh, last week, I did a best of show with... Um, who did I have on? I think uh, it was uh, Michael DeForge, Noah Van Skyver, and Zach Soto, where it was the cartoonists talking about their best books of the year. This week uh, is similar but completely different, where I am joined by Tucker Stone, uh, Bill Cartolopoulos, and Chris Butcher. Have I got you guys all there? Yes. Hello. Hello. Uh, I don't know. Can you hear me? Yep. There okay, we go. good. That, that's, that's everyone. Um, all of you are critics whose work I enjoy. Well, Bill, I haven't seen any writing from you in a while, but when you do write, it's amazing. No, thank you, Rob. Um, I, do, I do a lot of uh, ephemeral uh, criticism in the form of public speaking and moderating panels these days. There we go. Um, let's see them fit that into the best uh, American comics criticism. Yeah. I guess they had one panel. Um, Maybe thank- they could have like one of those audio chips like they have in greeting cards. There we go. Open it up, and it's just the sound of like somebody talking. Yeah. There we go. Uh, it's pretty cheap to do that kind of stuff nowadays. I guess uh, introduce each of you. Um, maybe say a little bit about who you are. Uh, more than just a talking head. Uh, I'll start with you, Chris. You've been on here a couple of times. Do yep. let folks know who you are. Um, I uh, I am Christopher Butcher. I've been uh, blogging for many a year online at different variations on comics212.net. Uh, I am the manager of The Beguiling uh, Books and Art in Toronto, Canada, an awesome store that everyone should come visit. And I am also uh, the, the festival director for the 2011 Toronto Comic Arts Festival, which is coming up uh, this May 7th and 8th. So uh, we just actually announced sort of everything this week, actually. Well, the, the first wave of announcements uh, with headline guests like uh, Chester Brown for his new book, which I guess will be on the best of 2011, uh, <laughs> uh, as well as Chris Ware, Julian Tamaki, and the first-door international guest, uh, Mal, who's a German cartoonist who's, who's really solid. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of stuff. Fantastic. I'm very much looking forward to that festival. I have a good time every year. And speaking of good time festivals, Bill? Okay. Hi, I'm Bill Cardolopoulos. Uh, I teach classes about comics and illustration at Parsons. Uh, I'm a co-organizer and the programming director for the Brooklyn Comics and Graphics Festival, which we just had for the second year, uh, December 4th. Um, I'm also the programming coordinator for SPX. Um, I do several other comics-related things, including uh, reviewing comics for Publishers Weekly. Um, I also have been curating some shows lately. I curated an exhibit of Bob Sukoriak's work this past summer, and I'm currently working on a show uh, that's opening in February um, that's going to have work by, by Windsor McKay, Tony Sarg, Saul Steinberg, uh, Richard McGuire, Mariscal, and Taper Rad, and that's uh, called Cartoon Polymaths. And it's opening at Parsons Kellen Gallery on February 3rd. So I'm very busy with that right now, but basically very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Happy for, to be here. Thank you for taking the time to join us today, no Bill. No problem. And speaking of New York, Tucker. Hey, um, I'm Tucker Stone. I uh, blog at um, factualopinion.com, write sometimes for Savage Critics and Comixology. Uh, and as of last year, I manage a store called Bergen Street Comics in Brooklyn, New York. And yeah, that's uh, that's me. It's uh, it, it totally wasn't on purpose to have two comic store managers and two guys involved with festival organizing. It just, 
Synchronicity? Let's go with that. Well, I could just go, if you want to take a break, I could just go find a festival to manage, then we can have all festival managers. Why don't you just announce a festival you've, you, you, you can make I'm gonna, up? I'm going to start a festival next year. It's going to be all Gossip Girl and porn comics. I'm down with the Gossip Girl comics. Yeah, it's good because you're actually going to be our curator kind of person who's going to come in. and There we go. Look to you for the creative. Okay. Make and it. I can start a comic book store out of the uh, living room. Awesome. There we go. There we go. Yeah. You've got room for it, Bill. Um, I'm going to start out with the earliest book of the year. Um, it kind of is last year's, a, a book left over from last year because it came out after Christmas. Um, and it really didn't get very much attention in last year's festival list because it came out at the end of the year. Um, Footnotes of Gaza by Joe Sacco. I finally got around to reading it, read it over the last couple of days, and was floored and love it, and was reminded why I think Joe Sacco is the king of uh, the medium he works in with the uh, journalistic endeavors. Do any of you have thoughts on Footnotes? Uh, I would just agree with you that... that um it was just a, a book that was overlooked somewhat uh, because of the timing uh, of its publication right at the end of last year. I definitely remember year-end lists coming out before the book even appeared, and I had this real um, strong feeling of anticipation for that book, and it seemed a little off to me that that would happen. And, in fact, um, I do think it's uh, an extraordinary book. I think it's not just, like, another good Joe Sacco book. I think it's the best thing he's done and one of the great graphic novels uh just to talk about it as a format rather than a you know fictional genre or something like that um it, it just it really felt like he was taking everything he had done before and refining it focusing it and applying it in in an even more uh sustained way than he had previously to a, a major major project and uh i know that the book came out in paperback this year so i hope it's it's finding its audience Chris, do you have any comments on uh, on footnotes? Um, I actually, uh, it, it's it's weird. Um, I started tr- reading uh, footnotes in Gaza twice, and uh, both times I was not ready for it. Uh, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, I find that uh, I find that it's really easy to read certain comics. Uh, you can just sort of, you know, pick up a comic and flip through most of the. Most of the superhero stuff—it's not—it's not just superheroes, but 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 a lot of comics. Regardless of where you've been, five minutes before you sit down to read the comic, you can you know you can you can figure it out. Um, I couldn't get through it, uh, and it had nothing to do with the quality of the work. It had to do with the fact that I don't know that I'm ever or I'm regularly in a space where I can read material that that's that heavy. Uh, it's I really like Joe Sacco's work, and I've read a lot of it. Um, I, I think I've read everything at this point, except for some of the old, the shorts before the book collections of Palestine. I, that's sort of where my knowledge ends, uh, is Palestine, and then sort of from there on. But uh, Fixer and, 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 and um, uh, thing Safe Area? Yeah, Safe Area Garage Day. Um, and the other one that uh, Dean Q put out, the little hardcover with the dog on the cover that was terrible. Dogs of War? I've read all those. And this one, for whatever reason, like I started reading, and it was just like, I'm not... I know where I, you know, you know about, you think you know about the situation, uh, sort of over in, in in Israel and in Palestine, and you think you know what you're in for, and uh, I just couldn't, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't keep reading it. Uh, I'm just not there, so I'm gonna call bad critic on that. It was the same thing. I um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I tried to, re- I was reviewing all the first second books, and I got to um, 
the the one on Rwanda uh, was in their Dio first Gratis. line. Which one? Dio Gratis. Yeah, Dio Gratis. And uh, it's like, what do you, what do I, as a critic, come and, and say about that book that you know isn't just read this book? Uh, and it's just it was the same thing. It's just I got to it and I couldn't do it. So I'm gracefully bowing out on this one. And I have purchased. Uh, I've got my hardcover at home, and one day I will read it. But uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> Not the right headspace for me right now, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to say. To give people a little uh, idea of what the book about is about, it's about 350 to 400 pages about a massacre in 1956 in Gaza. Um, and Joe dissects it to every minute detail, cataloging the events, cataloging the deaths. Um, and it kind of goes to that, that saying, you know, one death is a tragedy, multiple deaths is... is statistic um and this is where he kind of pulls that apart and really focuses on the the tragedy aspect i guess a good way of putting it did you have any idea thoughts on it tucker um i I read it last year when it came out i remember taking i took just took the hardcover home that week and read it uh like bill i was kind of looking forward to it i i wasn't i wasn't very much taken with it to be honest uh I mostly got I mostly get into it just as I, I really like the I, I do think that Bill's on the on point about saying that it's one of the best things he's ever done. I think the the content wise, I just wasn't really that interested in that content. Mm-hmm. Um, I find I mean I think I think Israel Israel information like historical stuff like that. I just have never really I've never really found that stuff that interesting. I, mean, I liked Palestine a lot more because it felt when I read Palestine, it was something that was it felt more contemporary to me. It felt like it was talking about a place that's happening right now. Um, and Footnotes in Gaza, maybe because it was a historical massacre, maybe because it was talking about the relationship with historical massacres. I just, I wasn't as taken with it. I, I, I kind of was, I don't know, it's my own fault for not doing any research when I first heard what the book, the book's titles was. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, I thought, oh, this is great. You know, this, there's a, because at that time, I think it was just a few months after you know, a lot of stuff had happened in Israel and Gaza, the Gaza Strip, you know, and I was like, oh, great. He's doing something that's, like, right on the ground right now. He's going back to this one of, like, the things that I'd always had him, when I think of him, I always think of Palestine, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I was like, okay, great. Now, we've, a bunch of stuff has happened since Palestine can't, was released, and Joe's gone back, and he's done more whatever, you know, whatever magic it is that he weaves so he can come up with those comics. Um, but when I sat down with the book, I just... I don't know. I just didn't. I, I never. I read it all the way through. I just never really got as invested into it. I didn't really have much of an emotional response to it. And while I won't say that, I mean, I, I'm one to call bad critic on that too. <laughs> that is the relationship that I had with Palestine. That is the relationship I had with Fixer. Um, and I didn't have it this time. And and that's what I was looking for. Um, the only other thing I just kind of wanted to say was about the response to it. I did think that it was was a w- bit weird that it didn't show up on best of list but i thought that was kind of a good indication of something that seems to be happening a lot in like recent years where it's just kind of assumed that books like joe Sacco's stuff you know journalistic comics whatever you know high priced those sorts of things have their audience and they're taken care of by that audience and the audience that used to say well i'm going to go out there i'm going to read my journalistic comics and i'm going to read my genre comics and all these other sorts of things like it's I do feel like things are, like, splitting off into groups, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the group of people who used to read, like, I don't know, Love and Rockets, Acme Novelty Library, whatever was the high-ranked genre, superhero, or whatever kind of comic. 
feel like those groups really exist anymore. It feels like more like people are split off into their own sectors. I think that's that's a bigger discussion than maybe we'll jump into today. Um, a, a book in probably the opposite direction is The Wrong Place by uh, Brach Devins, w- which I loved. It was full of life, full of color, and really something dynamic from someone that no one's seen anything from before. Who wants to jump in with their thoughts on The Wrong Place first? Bill? I just, I just oh. finished it. I want to say something about that Go one. ahead, Tuck. I love. I I really. That, I think that that book. Some of the like the lines in there and the way people talk in there is just so dopey. And uh, but it really is beautiful. And I thought that that the sequence where Robbie has sex with the girl and then it just breaks down into. I don't know what is that color pencils? Is watercolor paint? I don't know what the heck it is. But it's just the lines breaking. Mm-hmm. That is an awesome page. That's a fantastic. That's one of my favorite pages I saw of anything. I I love that page. It's an all-time great sex scene in comedy. Yeah, that's a great. It's a great sex scene. It's a great sex. I mean, there's not a lot of great sex scenes, though. So, and I mean, you get out. I mean, if you dump Milo Manera, like I don't know, can't think of that many great sex scenes at all. <laughs> uh, um, I guess. I mean, I don't really like Brandon Graham's sex scenes. I mean, they're fine, I guess. But, but it's just a great scene. Like that's just great drawings, and it's a. I don't know. I like. I. I at the end of the day, I don't know what the heck that book is about. It feels like it's kind of a weirdly weird. I don't know. Kind of mix of metropolitan stillman soap opery kind of talky stuff but um i don't know but i like that comic i liked it a lot i didn't was think it I one of your best of the year though no it wasn't you know, i you know what i didn't actually read that one until just recently i read it because you guys were all pushing it and i'd started it a few times i said like this is really beautiful i should finish this um is it my best of the year no i didn't i didn't really uh i mean i thought it was really funny and i really liked it but no there's a lot of stuff that i like more uh, I actually, I think, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't read that one until Bill picked it actually for this, uh, for this discussion we're having here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I sort of kicked myself cause it actually totally shot up on the, onto my chart. I, uh, I thought it was really, really well observed. Like, uh, I know it's a, it's a strange thing to elevate something to sort of like, this is an amazing high quality project because they can capture exact, like all of the nuances of going to a shitty party. But mm-hmm. those first 30 pages at the shitty party are the best pages at a shitty party I've ever read. They're, they're awesome. It's so brutal. It's so <laughs> it is. And it's, it's you know, it's it's just like we are, oh, my God. Like I, and, and it introduces him, and it's sort of or the, the lead character. I can't remember his name, unfortunately. He's the gray splotch. Uh, Gary. And it sort of, yeah, Gary. And it sort of picks up on him as it moves through the story. And I think it introduces the things like the girl's, getting ready to go out and get dressed and meeting Robbie uh, and then the sex scene as counterpoints to Gary's relationship and there's this I don't know there's so much going on in that book that is that is especially when they get into the club scenes where it's it's you can read it totally straight and such as it is uh, or you can read it as just a metaphor for uh, the larger world versus the internal world uh, the, the panel that really captured for me was actually a full page double page spread it's one of the only ones in the book where they're going, Robbie and Gary are going up in the elevator, and every floor they pass is sort of like a different version of, like, the Garden of Earthly Delights. It's like, yeah, oh, there's the deba- orgy yeah, room. The debauchery oh, stuff. The, yeah. the dancing room. And, yeah, and it's, I don't know, I, I uh, it really just totally hit with me. And the art is, I mean, the art is gorgeous. Uh, and, and I didn't really get that until I, I read it, I guess. I looked at it, and it's like, oh, it's kind of pretty, and he's doing interesting things with colors. But when you really sit down and read it, and you realize what he's doing with the art. Uh, it just, yeah, it was it was revelatory. So, 
Bill, thanks for, for picking that one. That was amazing. It tr changed. Well, it's my funny that I, I picked the book. I don't know if I would necessarily put it on my like uh, best of year list. I, more, I, I thought it was more interesting. Um, <laughs> really? If I can generalize a little bit, I think one of the things that were really, uh, even just looking at some of the books um, that we're talking about today, I think one thing we're really seeing the fruits of now is um, artists just taking advantage of the availability um, of good color reproduction uh, to do interesting things other than fill in line art with literal color. Um, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about Body World, uh, too, and that's a book uh, that does that. You can think uh, of Asterios Polyp from last year uh, is another book that's doing the same thing. Obviously, Chris Ware uh, has been doing that for a while. Cold um, heat. And I thought that was... Um, and one of the other things about this book that I thought was uh, interesting is um, uh, the use of color, um, sometimes in a figurative way, sometimes in a more emotional way, uh, to, to um, depict internal experience. And again, that's something that we saw in Asterius Polyp, something that we see in Body World. So I think we're really seeing the fruits, uh, we're beginning to see the fruits of the possibilities in good reproduction technology that, that uh, has, has accelerated quite a bit over the last several years. It's almost hard to remember, you know, 10 years ago when the vast majority of comics were black and white now. Um, but I thought, it was, I thought it was a fine book. I really liked um, a lot of the visual ideas in the book. I felt for me that there were just some passages that worked a little better than others. Sometimes, I'm, sometimes I can enjoy and sometimes I'm put off by uh, work, whether it's movies or whatever, that tries to communicate a sort of like um, Fellini-esque, carnival-like um, depiction of life and social life. Sometimes, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it seems a little um, corny. I had a little bit of a, of a hard time sometimes with the sort of intense um, romanticization of the Robbie character. It seemed like every character in the book had this like enormous uh, fixation, erotic or otherwise. Uh, on that character, and I, I mean, I think he's intended to seem almost cartoonishly uh, larger than life, but that worked best for me uh, in some of the sequences where it kind of rubbed up against some of the more kind of sordid, mundane realities. Um, you know, there are some moments, for example, after he does have that uh, night with that um, uh, woman, whose, whose name I don't remember, uh, where you, you get these little glimmerings um, uh, of an indication that that she's interested in him, but he's probably not going to call her back. And, and that was where it worked for me. But there were other times where the whole thing seemed a little too um, fantastic in its depiction of the romance uh, of nightlife and things like that. But, but maybe they have better clubs in Belgium, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, think, I think that romance was important, though, because it was, a, it was deliberately... Like, if you, if you take that the whole book is from Gary's point of view, because he's the first sort of character introduced in a real in a real way and the whole book sort of hinges on on him being this, this terrible person who actually even at the end moves outside of himself when he's confronted with this larger than life party atmosphere like can he really sort of jump and escape himself uh i think the cartoonishness of robbie uh, as this mythical character really works uh where people are trying to imitate him and uh it's 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 a perfect distillation of of a scene and how when you're in the scene, it seems like the scene is the only thing that matters. Uh, and putting that on the page does seem kind of corny and ridiculous, but at the same time, 
it is a corny and ridiculous situation. <laughs> and so I really feel like it captures that completely uh, and, and expertly. And I really, really dug it. Well, the, they, they really, he really tries to enforce how mythical Robbie is, right? Like it's, it goes quite into that kind of idea that he isn't real. This is an ideal that's not necessarily realistic, but something everyone wants to achieve with the uh, stuff they go through at the end of the book. And the visual ideas throughout are great. I mean, there are a lot of really great visual ideas. As, as lush and lavish as it is, um, Brett Evans um, is, is really admirably restrained at times, too. Uh, you know, I remember uh, a sequence during that party scene, you know, where there are quite a few people sitting around a table together, and at one point two of the characters start talking to one another from across the table, and everyone else sort of suddenly vanishes. Uh, the colors and, uh, used to render those people become a little bit more intense. Um, and it really uses color um, to kind of capture that subjective experience of sort of being at a party and suddenly focusing in very intensely on another person and then kind of fading back out into the background. Uh, and, and there were a number of other visual devices in the book that I thought were really impressive. I'm going to move us on to another book, uh, Body World by Dash Shaw. Um, I think, Bill, you made a reference to it earlier in comparisons with, uh, was it you that made it with the, with the parent to the wrong place? place mm -hmm. uh, why don't we jump what are your thoughts on body world um as a collected book does it work well in that version i'd think? be curious to hear did, i didn't follow it that closely when it was on the web um just because i would forget about it and then occasionally sort of catch up with whatever the latest episode was i'd be curious to hear from someone who um actually followed it did, did anyone follow it when it was being serialized and then read it as a book I read, I read it online, and then I just mm -hmm. read the book recently. Mm -hmm. um, was the experience um, significantly different for you? Uh, I kind of feel like it, it it was, but not not in such a way that's like I, I don't know if you really could label it as a positive or a negative. It was just a different way to read it. I know there are times when I was reading it as a book that I just found it just it, just as a physical process. I found it kind of obnoxious. You know, like just like I'm putting this somewhere on a table and leaning over that table, and then I'm getting tired of leaning on that table, that kind of thing. But um, and I never, you know, I didn't feel that way when I read a computer. But I like that comic quite a bit, and I don't really, and, and there was no relationship with it that was negative enough to uh, it detracts from it. I am glad that I read it online first. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I have really anything else to say about that, Chris. Um, yeah, I read maybe the first half of it online, and it became more and more apparent that he didn't intend for it to maybe be read online. It was just a, uh, maybe not didn't intend, but I feel like uh, his primary serialization, uh, or his primary goal was having a book at the end, because the serialization in the, the webcomics form became really um, complicated, uh, like the story sort of doubled back on itself and whatnot, and it's a much easier process I find to flip back 15 pages and read that section over again than it is to, you know, sort of click back and try and figure out what chapter they were talking about, you know, the thing they're talking about and, and back and forth. So yeah, I, I, I waited for the book version and I, I think it, I think it's a great book. I think Dash is amazing. And actually when I suggested Dash's works, uh, I really liked his short science fiction stuff, mm -hmm. maybe better than body world. The stuff that appeared in Mome this year was, was outstanding. Uh, that was collected in uh, Unclothed Man. That was uh, in the didn't that come out last year? Pardon me. I think that came out last year. 
until it, I thought it came out at the beginning of 2010, and Body World came out sort of in yeah no it he it was out after, um, just before TCAF as far as I remember. I mean it could be Un- wrong. Unclothed Man I picked up at that uh, Brooklyn festival, but that might have been advanced. I picked it up at the last year's Brooklyn festival. I I got my copy uh, picked up for me at eight last year. Okay, well then sorry, uh, sorry Chris. Right, right on the verge, it's right in the middle there. <laughs> Uh, let's just say I didn't read it until uh, April or, or May of last year when Body World came out. It's still a great book. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked uh, I really liked the short stories there, the the science fiction stuff. Um, maybe more than I like Body World as a whole. And it's just I might be a short story guy now. I don't know. But uh, I think Body World is is amazing. Uh, I think it's a it's a especially you know it's such a I don't know it sounds like a cop out in my head before I say it, but Dash is still so young, and I've known him for forever like he was at maybe the first tcap or the second tcap and so i've known him for like seven or eight years like from his alternative comics days and seeing what he produces and then seeing the next thing he produces and how much further he's come and how much more he's done uh has been phenomenal for me it's been an amazing amazing sort of experience so i just like following his career like i like seeing what he does next and i just like enjoy having those works around so it's it's a different position, I guess, than than being able to look at the book as a whole. And and knowing Dash, it's a weird situation to be reviewing his work on a podcast as well. <laughs> so, uh, so there's Hi, that. Dash. But yeah, it's a uh, I really uh, I, I kind of like his whole his whole oeuvre, uh, and different things resonate maybe more with me than others. I, I want to jump into another uh, young person, but first I have to do a quick break. We'll be right back. Uh, Inkstead, CITR, 101.9 FM. And we're back. Inkstead, CITR, 101.9 FM. Um, the, the book I wanted to jump into next was Young Lions by Blay Larmy. Um, Laramie? I, sorry, Blay. I'm mispronouncing Laramie. Laramie. Um, it's uh, kind of a new new movement, old movement. I don't know how to how to quite put it in context I am unsure of how I feel about the book I kind of read it and was left a little kind of I don't know there there was something about it that just rubbed me the wrong way where I felt it was more ideas than really put into the the book as a whole uh, as as a narrative it really shrunk down on the narrative and more on the, the concepts of discussion I don't know. What do you guys think? Someone? Well, I think um, I think uh, Blaze is really interesting. I mean, I'm not I'm not sure um, that this particular uh, work necessarily ultimately um, cohered maybe uh, the way I might have wanted it to um, as a reader. Although I kind of would like to maybe put it aside and and read it again. Um, I think what's what's interesting is um, Blaze is clearly someone who is not um, uncomfortable with the kinds of uh, theorizing uh, language and rhetoric that comes out of the art world. And I think that's interesting because comics have um, for a long time been so uh, marginalized that it's been easy to kind of um, sort of look at that stuff from a distance and just kind of uh, treat it as if it's sort of snooty and highfalutin and, and not relevant um, 
so what's going on in comics uh, you know makes you know think of like art school confidential or something like that um, and it's I mean it, sometimes it's hard to when you're reading this work to separate it out from other things that people do I mean has anyone else read any of like the blog postings over at um, Comix the Comets, Comets, yeah. Comets, or Comets, Comets. Yeah, I read that stuff. Yeah, you know, and I mean, Blaze is, is clearly having some fun with these kinds of ideas here, sort of bringing some of the ideas about comics into contact, contact uh, with some of the kind of um, uh, ideas that surround the the fine art gallery world. Um, you know, and it's almost like he's making um, a comic that's uh, about art that's about art and presenting it almost in a kind of art context. I mean, the book itself sort of looks like um, something you might see at Printed Matter or something like that. You know, it has um, that sort of art monograph uh, kind of look to it. Um, I mean, I'm sort of talking about ideas around the book more so than the actual uh, book itself. I think that matters. I think, I think the, I'm sorry, someone was about to say something? I, I'm sorry, I think that matters. I think that I don't know, that's the thing, I think that he kind of, that whole crew, all those guys, like, uh, not so much Koch, what Aiden Koch, who did The Whale, but a lot of those, um, is it like Jason Overby, I guess, mm-hmm. or Austin, I don't, I don't know, the people who mess around on Comets, Comets, like, they, their work is part of an extension of this persona and all this other stuff that they do, like the way they, like, link to their own reviews, the way they respond in comment sections, the way they just turn everything into, like, this like anti-conversation about like weird art philosophical stuff i don't even i can't even follow half of what they talk about but i think that like you have to incorporate like i I think that they've pulled that off what nobody like a lot of people are still producing comics put it out here and then there's like a separate person who goes online is like hey i made a new comic here's some tweet links to my reviews and here's my blog post where i talk about what my favorite sandwich is and that sort of thing whereas blahs and those and like people in his little crew his little sector are actually they're maintaining this illusion throughout the entire the entire process. Like there, there's a guy named Blasler May who makes these comics and they come out, and there's a guy named Blasler May who does this weird Twitter account and leaves these weird comments and helps maintain a weird blog and helps publish other crazy books and stuff like that. Like I, those guys are actually like young artists being aggressive and doing something different that doesn't feel like an outgrowth of geek culture and everything else. Like I think mm-hmm. what you're saying about art is, I think that matters. I think that's interesting. Chris, I want to hear from you. Oh, I didn't read it. <laughs> I, 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 I did not get any, I didn't see it distributed anywhere. We weren't contacted by any of the people we, we work with to carry it. So never seen it. I think everyone picked it up at uh, the Brooklyn uh, the Brooklyn Festival or something because I've never seen that book. But I did go and uh, coincidentally read the Comics Comics thread about it, which was fantastic if you just want to blow like two hours on nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am glad that there are young artists pushing at the boundaries of stuff. We have our own kind of scenes like that here in Toronto, where it's people that want to do things and interact with each other, both through art and in real life. And yeah, it's great, but uh, I am not surprised it did not get distributed outside <laughs> of New York uh, to the best of my it's knowledge. In, he's in Portland. Is he in Portland? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, right. he, he, Who published that book? He self-published he it. Get it in at the store. But Tony got it. Eric Grant, and uh, as far as I know, self-published it. Yeah. Okay. And so Gaze has got it. Yeah, Shinton's got it. I promised everyone and in Toronto. Spark plug. Spark plug's got it now too. Uh, done. 
And he also uh, publishes Gay's books, which uh, Aiden Koch's The Whale came out from recently. So, yeah. more stuff to check out of that school. I haven't even heard of it. Sorry. <laughs> well, going in with uh, the Toronto um, young talent artist there, Michael DeForge is someone who uh, I think 2010 was his year. Um, three comics out this year, the Lose Number 2, um, Spotted Deer, and Snowman. And Strange Tales. And Strange Tales. Not to forget the wonderful Iceman story. Um why is Michael so awesome? I love uh, him. Chris, you want to talk about your local boy there? Uh, sure. Uh, I, uh, I, like I said, I'm glad that there are people, young people especially, doing stuff that is of like particular interest and reflects what they're doing in their day to day lives, and that they have this sort of larger knowledge and interest in comics. Uh, and Mike DeForge's stuff is all of that. I mean, he's been doing drawings and contributing to like zines and, and and the free drawings magazine that we had here in toronto that folded this year uh for forever and sort of he's one of those guys that you know everybody knows in the in the scene in the art scene and then all of a sudden he's the one that's also just releasing these gorgeous you know full color uh, or or rizziographed or short stories or showing up in like a marvel magazine and he's like 25 uh, and he's just, you I know, think. been working his ass off behind the scenes forever. I think he's 23. 23. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, uh, and that's, and you know what? And you look at the work and you're thinking, you know, no, no wonder this this guy who's been just plugging along and doing this stuff is showing up everywhere. It's really good. Like, yeah. like the yeah. Spotted Deer book or the Snowman book, which went in three or four directions I did not expect. Uh, uh. And it's. They're, they're little they're little confections almost they're almost like I'm gonna do these short pieces that are that are sort of windows into another world or, or lose number two where it's just like getting that comic in and you're like oh this is, uh, what was the comment today it's, it's getting harder and harder to kill alternative comics because there's so few of them now that no one can get a beat on them uh, I think it was, uh, it was Spurgeon talking about crickets and it's like lose number two came out from a Toronto publisher which I don't think anyone had heard of uh, until, you know, maybe the sixth month or seventh month of this year, uh, Koyama Press. And it's just this, like, window into what if alternative comics, you know, didn't go the way the graphic novels? What if the, what if, what if the, the, the Hernandezes were still doing single issues every year or single issues every three months? And then there were more stuff like that, you know, on the stands. Your people were being inspired to produce more work like that. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's awesome. I'm glad that that work exists. And I like, you know, and, and, and for all my uh, curmudgeonliness, I like hearing that there's other work out there that I have no clue about mm-hmm. uh, at all. Uh, and so now I am actually sort of Googling and emailing t- Tony Shenton in the background going, give me all these books. So, yeah, that's what that's what's so great about DeForge's stuff is that, like, he's he's got the history, he's got this vision, and he's young, and he's just developing radically on the page. Like, it could get to the point where three years from now, he's not even doing comics anymore because that's not where the artistic news took him. So I am like like Julie Doucet, although you know maybe 15 years ago. So I certainly hope that he, he stays in comics because I think he brings something really interesting. And I hope he keeps having something to say with comics because I've never read something of his and gone, yeah, he just he just sort of you know sort of just knocked that out. He didn't really care about it. He really like really invests a lot of himself, whether or not he should, uh, into into the stuff he puts out there, and that's awesome. I think it's interesting that his work is, like you said, in pamphlet format. He doesn't have a graphic novel. There is no Michael DeForge's spined book. 
um, but meanwhile, everyone is really excited by his work. I think that's kind of indicative of maybe an economic reality too of being able to jump into someone without having to shell out twenty bucks. Mm. Um, I also like the fact that he's he's a uh, his work is. Uh, referenced and discussed and there's lots of illustrations and stuff like that by him online but his comics exist as comics and i haven't seen it come up in the torrents and i kind of think that's amazing and i like that he'll put up a story every once in a while but there's still work out there to to like search and find and own in the format it was intended for uh and that's awesome too i'm like a paper comics guy i guess yeah regarding what you were saying about julie just say i i do i do feel like he's he might be a lifer uh just because he, what, one of the things that's interesting about his work is that it's so obviously informed by having read uh, tons of comics, um, and yet it also is super contemporary. Um, but I mean, anyone who figures out like how to draw Nancy is, is probably going to stick with it, and, and he seems to like the format too. <laughs> I want to, Tucker. Do you have any DeForge comments before I, we jump on? I, to the next I love I love Michael DeForge's stuff. I know you're probably gonna move on. I just really like Bill's comment about that's a good rule of thumb. If somebody learns how to draw Nancy, they're probably in this forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, Xdope by uh, Charles Burns, um, very experienced man in comics. Um, he can draw Nancy. He can, he can draw whatever the hell he wants, and it looks that's great. <laughs> reading it. In comparisons with Young Lions, I kind of felt like there was stuff he touched on in there that Young Lions was trying to do, and Burns just did it and kicked it out of the park. Um, I know Chris won't be able to comment on that part. Did either of you, Tucker or Bill, see any kind of crossover in in some of the concepts? That's interesting. I I wasn't thinking about it in reference to um, to Young Lions specifically. I mean, one of the other... uh, that was actually one of the other books I was thinking of that's really making um, extremely uh, good use of the availability uh, of color. I mean, it, it's also another one of the many uh, books that came out this year, and we certainly can't talk about them all, um, that you can look at as an example of someone uh, who's been making comics for a while, who's already kind of made uh, major contributions um, sort of moving on and, and doing surprising things. I mean, you can think about, you know, Linda Berry's last couple of books, um, uh, Dan Klaus's new book. I mean, there there are a lot of examples of that kind of thing, of people who have been around for a while who have already produced extraordinary work um, and taking some surprising turns. And, and with the X'd Out book, it's like he's, um, you know, he kind of did the naturalistic uh, sort of novelistic thing uh, in Black Hole, um, and now he's sort of having been through that, um, sort of resynthesizing it uh, with some of the more um, cartoony, uh, pulp genre-informed uh, oddities of his earlier work. If you think of things like El Borba and, and, and Big Baby, um, suddenly it's like that stuff is sort of coming back um, in in a way uh, in X'd Out. Um, I, I found it a thoroughly satisfying work. I thought it was um, a really good read, just as one volume. But I just—it just made me anticipate the next one and, and, and wonder what the whole uh, trilogy of books is going to be like once it's all finished. Chris, is that you typing? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tucker. 
Um, I don't really have much to say about X-Dial. Uh, I, I, I love Black Hole. I remember reading Black Hole. Black Hole was a big deal for, I don't know, when I first read it, it was one of the, it was all the comics that actually made it down south. Um, like it was actually available. And uh, I don't know, I just, I hate to be that guy because I just don't think it's that interesting, but it comes down to it. I just thought it's just overpriced and, and just, un, I, I didn't feel like it was very satisfying. I just finished it and was like, yeah, I don't really feel like this is the right format for this. I mean, I just, I don't know, I, I read some crazy long, ridiculous um, book and I remember like going online and finding out, you know, they have a date for the next one. It's like 2012, and I'm like, that's fine. I don't mind waiting three years because I know the date. And it's just like I get done. I got done with next time. I was just like, really? That's that's all you got for me? And then it's just like part two, whenever this will be three, whatever. Twenty dollar hardcover. It's pretty. I don't disagree that it's pretty, but there were a lot of pretty big hardcovers that came out from that little sector. And I just think of like that blanket book. Mm-hmm. That gigantic King of Flies, that guy who basically is just looking at Charles Burns and drawing comics. And um, I don't know. I just wasn't that impressed with it. You know? I just don't have much to say about it. We have enough time to talk about one more book. Um, we have three here, the Acme, Axe, or Love and Rockets. What, any consensus that you guys would prefer to talk about? Um, my, my experience with Axe was kind of negative. I reread it today, and I was put off by a lot of the production problems with it. So let's talk about something we liked. Uh, I'm up for Love and Rockets or Acme. Tucker? I'd be happy to talk about Acme. I, I just also wanted to mention that I, I also noticed some of those issues in Axe as well. I mean, there were definitely some interesting stories in there, um, but it was produced like one of those old SPX anthologies. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, Tucker? Uh, yeah, I lo- I, I'm a loving Rockets man. I love that thing. Okay, Brown Town Boys. Um, some feel it's uh, Jaime's best story ever. Is it? It's pretty fantastic. Um, he's able to weave together a wonderful, nuanced uh, description of a horrible uh, event in a child's life um, and able to tell it in a way that doesn't spell it out all out for us but really makes you think about it. Um, who wants to start? Chris? Um, I've really maybe only read four or five hundred pages of Love and Rockets, which sounds like that should be a lot, but it is not um, compared to sort of everything that's out there. So I've got a good handle, and, and uh, I thought that the work was probably the best thing I've, I've read out of all of it. It was uh, both, both Jaime stuff and uh, Gilbert stuff. Um, I felt like if I had been following the recent Love and Rocket stuff more closely uh, and seen Maggie's progression from sort of a young woman to someone, you know, approaching middle age, uh, I think I would have got even more out of it the way that people are talking about how it's this this work. Because as a standalone work, it is undoubtedly strong and undoubtedly maybe one of the best things to give to somebody who's like, why is Love and Rockets good? And you can just give them the story and they can read the whole thing without knowing anything else. And it's just uh, it really crystallizes, you know, everything that is right with the, with the work that they do. Um, but I think if you've been reading it for years, uh, it will move you to tears, uh, and it will just like you'll get so much more out of it as well. And so I think that in and of itself is a rare thing that that you can do something that work that's you know capital A accessible to to the public and stands on its own, but also works as this amazing sort of pinnacle of 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 storytelling within the larger career of the creators. I think it's pretty amazing. Uh, Browntown in particular uh, as a story, and then the sort of story that, that bookended it, 
um, yeah, it was it was it it stays with you long after you've read it. Uh, sorry for the cliche, but it's true. It's it's something I've been thinking about, uh, and the story structure, and the art. Anyway, I'm talking and talking. Someone else talk. <laughs> Bill. I thought it was great. I mean, I'm I'm sort of in the same boat as Chris, and it's like, and that I I have that same kind of um, um, feeling of falling short a little bit in the sense of like I've only read a few hundred pages or something. Um, I, you know, I've I've probably read more than half of the original Love and Rockets volumes, um, but it wasn't something that I was um, ever really quite as uh, obsessed with reading as. Uh, some people I know have been, but undoubtedly, um, this was a really powerful work, and it does, um, as Chris was saying, uh, encapsulate a lot of um, the long-standing virtues of Love and Rockets. Um, the idea of the interconnectedness of the characters and their histories, and you sort of get that all in microcosm uh, within that suite of stories. Um, in Love and Rockets, New Stories number three, um, all kind of encapsulated and presented in, as Chris was saying, a really accessible way. I do. I mean, it, I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure if I agree or disagree with um, the people who have said it's the best thing he's ever done. I think that's a kind of heavy thing to lay uh, on it. Um, but I think. I think it probably beyond the fact that it is very strong, very powerful. Um, I think. It has gotten um, that kind of favorable response precisely because it has that kind of self-contained novella-like quality. It's. Well, I think one of the things that really a lot of people really stick to is, like both you and both Bill and Chris, you, you haven't read the full Love and Rockets, um, and and you're not alone in that. And this story sticks out because you don't need to have a thousand pages of. Um, information in your head same with a couple of other stories of his like the um maggie's 40th birthday or fives on the ceiling all stories you could read within itself that really work without the periphery knowledge um tucker what what are your thoughts on love and rockets number three i, I yeah i thought i mean I, I i do think that i'm a big fan of brown town i do think that uh that one volume just encapsulated both of them at that I mean that's the thing I know the Gilbert stuff hasn't gotten as much of a claim and some of that I think is because the Gilbert stuff is in some ways especially that first part is even more offensive to people you know to anybody with a sensibility like I don't want to see certain types of stories you know I don't want to see children getting raped I don't want to see this sort of thing and the first one is pretty dark and but it's also just hysterical and it's really really funny and I thought that was a that was a great use of that format I mean it's you know if you're going to wait a year for those guys um, and then they're going to put out something like that that just has that much um, satisfying work and it just well put together stuff. I thought, and I think part of the reason, I, I mean, I agree with you guys that, you know, part of the thing that makes it so highly rated among his things is because it, it does harken back to how you could read Death of Speedy or Flies on the Ceiling standalone and really get a lot out of them without having the full knowledge of those relationships. I do think that there is, like, there's so much smart cartooning and smart panel layouts. Like I just think of that when um, when the kids running out of the cave in Brown Town. If you just look at the way the backgrounds are laid out and that, I mean, it's just that's there's really really amazing standout cartooning in those, even more than just some of the stuff that he's done before. And Flies on the Ceiling is an incredibly well just drawn comic, mm -hmm. but 
some of the stuff, I mean, I, I think the superhero stuff in the last few years, that was like the main focus, I felt like, for the last two volumes of news stories. Those were, they were well-drawn comics, but they just weren't as masterfully laid out. Like, you didn't look at those panels and stop and look, look and see how an entire page was laid out. I mean, I didn't. But when I was reading this this time with Browntown, all that stuff is happening. I mean, the, the, the dream sequences that Maggie's going through, I mean, those are, those are really, really well-drawn pages. Not just pages, mm-hmm. pages. I do think it's the best work of his career, but I also think that part of that is because these are, I think, in the right circumstances, amongst the right kind of people, those are great conversations to have about what's the best work of somebody's career. I mean, if we're trying to actually figure out the right answer, then, yeah, that's a waste of time. But if you're just trying to talk about, like, really great comics and what makes them incredible, yeah, I do think that's a great thing, and it's a, it's a fun conversation to have. I think that brings us to the end, unless you have any last comments. Nope. Okay. I love you, Robin. <laughs> Thanks uh, for having us on, Robin. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. I love you all, too. Christopher Butcher uh, from The Beguiling, Bill Cardalopoulos from Brooklyn Comics Fest, and Tucker Stone from uh, Savage Critic. What was your other site? Factual Opinion. Factual Opinion. And Bergen Street Comics. Thank you guys all so much. I really appreciate it, and I always love the stuff you write. Um, you're smart folks, and please keep the smart comics coming. Mm. Or smart comments on comics. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Robin. All right. Bye. Um, as I said, those guys are all fantastic. I'll have links to their personal website so you can check out uh, some of the stuff they've been doing. And, yeah, next week, I'm not too sure who we're going to have on. I'm still figuring that out. Up next, we have French Connection or uh, Japanese Music West, and after that, we'll have French Connection at 3.30. See y'all later.